Hello, this is Paul Wheeler. Welcome to a Brit Talks Hockey. This is Puck and Cover. Yes, hello folks. Welcome to this special edition of Puck and Cover. I'm Paul and every week we talk hockey with a British accent, looking at some of the biggest stories in the sport. This week, the NHL has continued in action, but all of the talk around the sport has been dominated by events both on and off the ice in Lake Placid and the National Women's Hockey League bubble. As while the drama and excitement on the ice has shown hockey at its absolute best, it's running parallel with controversy and discussion of it that has shown both the best and the worst aspects of the sport. So we're dedicating this episode to looking at it in depth. So deep breath, let's dive in. So let's start with the simple stuff, the on-ice action. The NWHL is currently coming to the end of its first week of a shortened season and it's on a pause this Friday after the Metropolitan Riveters had to withdraw from the competition due to Covid-related issues after compiling a 2-1 record. We've also seen the Toronto Six record a truly impressive first ever franchise win against the preseason Isabel Cup favourites Boston Pride before following it up with their second win against Buffalo and the Connecticut Whale have belied their underdog status by handing a 4-1 loss to the Pride while having rookie defender Tori Howran become one of the standout players of the league. Oh and by the way, Minnesota Whitecaps remain the only unbeaten team with amongst others an epic comeback from 5-1 down against Toronto to win 6-5 in a game for the ages. The league has attracted huge audiences streaming on Twitch too, with thousands tuning in to stream each game, a thriving fan community full of welcoming and passionate fans who are their own best advert for the game, and we've even seen a star born as Aaron, Lake Placid Zamboni driver, has unquestionably become the most famous ice resurfacer in Twitter history. And it's all this that's led to rising interest in the league from media organisations throughout North America. The NWHL already had interest from media organisations, but this year it will see its semi-finals and final broadcast on national US TV. The Toronto franchise is regularly mentioned on Sportsnet and their opening game was covered in the intermission of last Saturday's Hockey Night in Canada broadcast. But the shining light of the media coverage are the long-time women's hockey reporters who have been providing day-to-day coverage from the NWHL bubble or at a distance on their own time and own dime, the same way they have for all of the league's existence. These names, like Marisa Ingemi for example, may not be familiar to many in the wider hockey landscape, but the job they do is the equal or better of any other person in the sport. This increased visibility over the last year or so has of course had its issues for the league. And now we come to the one that's dominated talk for the casual fan and caused the NWHL to confront the ugly side of sports media head on. It's also raised discussions about how sports media could be used to grow a league but also destroy one and raised long-standing questions of league identity, the morality of professional sports and their interactions with the media as a whole. It's a thorny, multifaceted issue at the best of times, but let's discuss it as brought into sharp focus this week and how it puts the NWHL at a crossroads. So first of all, a little bit of background. If you're familiar with sports media in North America, you may well have encountered a monolithic present called Barstool Sports. A company set up by David Portnoy in 2003, this sports blog has grown to what can only be described as an open sewer masquerading as a sports website appealing to the worst nature of a very particular type of overwhelmingly male sports fan. 
To get the idea of what we're talking about here, let's just have a quick run through of just some of the controversies linked to them. They include the site's founder and head making not one, but numerous jokes about rape and sexual assault. The mildest one of these seeing site personalities saying they didn't condone it, but if a chick, their words, happened to pass out through drinking at one of their infamous blackout party events, then that's kind of a grey area. These charmers also argued, just in case you didn't think they were charming enough, that if a woman wore skinny jeans and was above a size 6, they probably deserved it. As if that wasn't enough, the founder Portnoy unapologetically used a racial epithet beginning with N, several times, refused to apologise for it, and then produced a podcast with that word in the title. In fact, the controversies are far more than it's worth listing, but already you've got an idea of what we're talking about. The level we're operating at here can perhaps best be summed up by the fact that the company employment contract specifically state employees must agree to tolerate either hearing or actually being asked to deliver material that may be racist, sexist, homophobic and contain other offensive talk and actions as part of their job, which surely must be one of the weirdest HR policies on the planet. As if that wasn't enough, the cult-like atmosphere of the Barstool fanbase means that they are effectively an online lynch mob that Portnoy and other Barstool personalities like CEO Erica Nardini, of whom more in a little while, can and do weaponise against anybody they wish. And this is where they become relevant to the NWHL this week. You see, Erica Nardini has friends who happen to be NWHL players. And she had them on her Barstool-related podcast recently, the cringingly named token CEO because she loves to make a big thing out of being only the girl at a site that says Saturdays are for the boys. This worried many people connected with the NWHL who have built a brand on being open to all, welcoming and often a safe space for sports fans who for many reasons feel unwelcome or unsafe in traditional hockey settings. Not surprisingly, seeing a media group whose whole brand relied on creating offence and outrage attempting to hitch themselves to the bandwagon did not go down well with many supporters and media members within the league, some of whom spoke out about it on social media. This, for Barstool, is the equivalent of waving a red rag at a bull. For a group whose whole brand is railing against easily offended people, they sure seem to get prickly when challenged, and so it happened in this case, with Erica Nardini taking the full girl boss move of posting a video to 225,000 Twitter followers identifying critics by name who she considered worthy of challenging and claiming that in fact these people who'd covered the league for years had done far less than Johnny Come Lately Her who appeared to only start caring about the NWHL as soon as she realised there was some money in it for her. Of course she knew exactly what would happen and it duly caused thousands of angry, mostly male Twitter users to flood these critics, who by the way are mostly young and female or non-binary, with the most vile Twitter abuse. To give an idea of the extent of the problem that Barstool has, it's become the norm on Twitter to not even name the company or any of its figures when criticising them, because even if Portnoy or Nardini don't see it, their fans will, and they'll let Portnoy or Nardini know, and then all hell will break loose. The abuse is disproportionately likely, by the way, at non-male and or non-white critics. It's unceasing and frankly, there's a slight chance that I'll get it as well. Even though I'm fully aware, as a straight white bloke, I am probably the target market for Barstool. Don't worry, they missed me by a long, long way. After seeing this video, the NWHL Savoya Tinker couldn't stay silent. 
as one of the few non-white players in the league, she stood up publicly to reject Nardini's claims as a supporter of the league, which was a brave act in itself. It's also arguably exactly what Portnoy, Nardini and their acolytes were after. There is a proven playbook here for Barstool, where site figures will initiate harassment, be challenged upon it and then present themselves as the victim and claim that they have nothing to do with the thousands of devoted followers who just happened to all decide to go and attack their critics at once. And it happened here, with Portnoy making one of his emergency press conferences, where he openly suggested Tavaya Tinker should be put in jail, meanly for pointing out the demonstrable facts that in the past he's allowed and condoned racist, sexist and other material, and caused floods of abuse to anyone challenging it. Nardini, meanwhile, decided that she'd reveal her true credentials as a supporter of the NWHL by plugging Barstool Company merchandise and then announcing plans to form a Barstool Hockey League. These plans were supported by the Pro Women's Hockey Player Association and several of its members, including prominent national team members from the US and Canada, which seems a bit weird. We'll leave aside the strangeness of a players' union ostensibly set up to give women's hockey more negotiating power and the members of that union allying with a company whose head has publicly said that employees attempting to form a union will be immediately fired. That's a whole separate issue, so we'll just stick purely with the weaponising of Twitter to pivot very quickly from claiming to support a women's league and even wanting to buy a team in it to attempting to openly destroy it. Barstool supporters and their employees across the site, many of whom wouldn't know what women's hockey was if it slapped a puck at their faces, amplified the attack at the NWHL critics' message through retweets and jumping to the defence of their esteemed boss. They also tagged the critics while doing so. Every NWHL league post on Twitter is now full of stoolies hurling epithets, mocking the league and generally doing what Barstool fans do. The league media have had to lock their accounts on social media in order to prevent abuse. Sock puppet accounts claiming to be former NWHL players trashing the league have been set up and the site's fans, even within the NWHL player community, have openly challenged league commissioner Tyler Tumini's assertion the league wouldn't work or support the media who didn't share their values by showing support for Nardini through likes and retweets. And it looked like, once again, the vile tentacles of this kraken of online hate would wrap around the NWHL. But today, something happened that wasn't in Barstool's playbook. They've spent the past week trying to claim that NWHL needs them for the exposure that it will bring. Notwithstanding the fact that no sane sports league wants the type of fan base Barstool offers. Today came the biggest proof yet that for all Barstool's bluster, the NWHL didn't need to lie down in the river of stoolies it was currently floating in in order to be taken seriously as a league and it came from the unlikely source of one of North America's biggest banks. Today the NWHL has announced their latest corporate partner would be Discover. Discover are the US's third biggest bank, with a customer base and potential audience for NWHL branding of 57 million people, which is a little bit more than Barstool's 2.7 million. The NWHL also streams its games on Twitch, which as I look at this moment at round about 11 o'clock Friday night, UK time has 5 million people watching. But this deal means far more than just financial sponsorship. By its very presence, it utterly destroys every single argument Nardini and our Barstool mates are trying to make about the NWHL's viability after refusing to partner with them. 
Aside from the obvious disparity in potential audience reached by Discover promotion as opposed to Barstool, there are subtler considerations for the league here that work in their favour and provide things to the league that despite their claims, the Stooley media group never could in their wildest dreams. Firstly, legitimacy. Banks and banking are notoriously conservative in what entities they choose to allow to publicly ally with them. Any whiff of controversy is anathema to corporate America. We've already seen this with Barstool when they had the chance to work with ESPN, one of the biggest broadcasters in North America, a move that the site's hierarchy were gleefully claiming legitimised the site, and a partnership that was abruptly cut off when Barstool and their content simply became too toxic for ESPN to handle. One can easily argue that any association with Barstool hurts a relatively small league like the NWHL far more than it helps due to driving away corporate sponsorships like these, and we've already seen the league announce that the growth in corporate sponsorship thanks to the increased visibility of the Lake Placid bubble may lead to a growth of player salaries next year of around 50%, which is huge for a sport still working its way towards fully pro status. Then there's the question of optics, of course. The old adage is that money breeds money, and nowhere is that more true than in sports. Where one big corporate sponsor goes, others will follow. And like it or not, Barstool's whole ethos of saying offensive things and then selling t-shirts off the back of them might work for them in terms of driving clicks to a website, but in corporate terms, they are absolute poison. Ask yourself why, despite having the audience they do, their employees struggle to work in any other media brands, or why their involvement in any sport often brings as much negative coverage for that brand as it does positive. Ask yourself why we're constantly reading about horrendous work conditions, questionable contracts, and all of the other stuff. The fact that the NWHL has seemingly rejected the barstool route of controversy for controversy's sake, and in the same week it's managed to obtain a corporate sponsor prominent in the biggest sports league in North America, is an important symbolic indication that if they want to grow the game, the last thing NWHL and its fans want is to pair with a media group who thrive on division, outdated attitudes, and espouse a sports media type that's fast becoming too toxic for leagues who wish to be taken seriously. The simple fact is, whatever they might say, the attitude that fuels Barstool is dying. It's also an indication that, contrary to what the Stoolies claim, the NWHL does not need to pander to them and their cesspit of a fanbase in order to get where it needs to go. Even the claims that Barstool will undoubtedly make that they are the reason for the attention and the corporate sponsorship like Discover are false, since these deals were probably signed before Barstool got involved and the league itself was doing just fine and growing well before this season. The media interest, in short, was already there. If nothing else, this week has forced the NWHL and indeed women's hockey in general to confront what it wants to be. And whilst the future is bright, there are still hard conversations that need to be had, both within women's hockey and the sport as a whole. It can't be ignored, for example, that the most vocal player challenging the divisiveness of Barstool was a person of colour, and many of her white teammates either didn't support her publicly or openly challenged her. There are still many other issues within the league and the way it approaches sensitive issues, for example, the continuing support of some of those players for an entity and philosophy seemingly now openly trying to destroy them while harass and intimidate their colleagues, has meant that once again racism in hockey and questions about just how inclusive the sport is have reared their heads. 
These are questions that deserve to be answered by the voices within the sport affected by it rather than myself. So if you're curious about this debate, I urge you to seek out far better qualified voices than I within the women's hockey community to learn more. As a start, the staff at the Ice Garden, that name is also their at on Twitter, and Eleni, who goes under the Twitter name Strong Forecheck, have been doing sterling work in covering and responding to this all this week and have an indispensable gateway to women's hockey discussion. For now, though, the NWHL will hope that the focus returns to the ice, with the league due to resume on Saturday, Jan the 30th, and play out its remaining fixtures over the next week. The product on the ice is arguably the best it's ever been, and despite the continuing question and debate, which will likely rumble on long after the Isabel Cup has been awarded this year, the future for the Premier Women's Hockey League in the world appears to be growing brighter by the day. It's up to League Commissioner Tylee Tuminia and her staff to continue navigating these choppy waters. But one thing that's sure is that they'll be doing it without the lead weight that is a partnership with Barstool Sports. And that's about it for this special NWHL edition of Puck and Cover. I'd like to pay tribute before I finish to every single media member covering the league for their work at this point. Their tireless work on behalf of the league can't be praised enough. Any errors in this podcast as a relatively new fan of the league are mine alone. And all I can say is go and check out the league while it's streaming on Twitch over the next week and discover how amazing it is for yourself. In the meantime, we'll keep talking about the NWHL amongst our coverage as much as we can, but for now, we'll say farewell. Don't forget you can follow me personally at Pucktistic on Twitter, or you can follow the podcast itself on at Puck underscore and underscore cover to keep updated on new episodes. And also don't forget you can catch up on our previous episodes at anchor.fm forward slash Puck and Cover pod. We'll be back next week to talk about the NHL and the second week of NWHL action. But until then, thank you to every single one of you for listening. Take care of yourselves, stay safe, and see you next time. Cheerio!